You've survived the worst. Trauma, loss, rejection. The reality is, your pain can be a crutch, or it can be the thing that launches you. You're listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience true freedom and breakthrough. Tune in each week as guests share their incredible life lessons from their personal stories and hear from experts who can give you the tools you need to stop surviving and start thriving. Here to help you find purpose through your pain is your host, Joseph James. My guest today is Joseph James, who's joining us today from New Orleans, Louisiana. Joseph is a former U.S. Marine and law enforcement veteran, a business owner, father, motivational speaker, and life coach. After his wife's battle with cancer and the journey of pain that his family went through, Joseph is now coaching people that have gone through life struggles and pain and trauma to help them find not just their purpose through pain, but teach them to take their pain and launch them into their destiny. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm truly honored. Yeah, I've really been looking forward to speaking with you. And, you know, I have to say that, um, you know, this show is very much for widowed parents, dads and moms alike. And so I'm always glad when I can have a widowed dad on the show and talk to you about your experiences. You know, there's so much that we have in common and there are some unique things as well. And I think it's just really great to hear a balance of people's perspectives and experiences. Um, so I'm very glad to have you here today. Thank you again for, uh, for being here. Thank you. Truly honored. Um, so let's just let's just jump right in. If you don't mind, could you set the stage for us a little bit before your wife got sick, before your whole life changed? Tell us a little bit about what was normal life like in your family. Just tell us a little bit about um, yourself and your family. Absolutely. Um, my wife and I met um, back in 2003. We're married in 2005, and we were just both working individuals. Um, she was a teacher. Um, I at the time. Um, worked in ministry, worked at our church, moved down to Louisiana. We were we married in North Carolina, moved down to Louisiana a year after we were married, and I travel with different people doing executive security, also with ministers um, doing things for them. And my wife was a school teacher. She was going through college. And then, of course, um, in the midst of everything, you know, my wife had... Um, a lifelong issues of just ovarian cysts, okay, and endometriosis, things like that, that many females deal with, you know, throughout their lifetime. And we were told in 2007, like, hey, listen, you're never going to have any children, but if you're going to, you may want to try the in vitro, but I would go home and start trying. And so hmm. we kind of started going through the in vitro process, and the first thing that they normally do after the first session is, they say, well, we're going to run some dye through you and see if your your tubes are clear. So mm -hmm. we did that. And my, my wife, we're both um, faith believers. We were both born and raised in church. and But she's not really the outspoken one. I'm the extrovert. She's the introvert. And uh, mm -hmm. so the doctor said to her, says, what do you expect out of this? And she says, I expect for the, the dye to run through me. And he says, don't get your hopes up. And... Mm -hmm. The next thing they knew, they were grabbing towels because fluid was flowing through her. And he just looked at her and says, go home and get pregnant. And we did. And uh, huh. that brought on miracle baby number one. Uh, in the process, you know, my wife had uh, a gallbladder issue that um, she had to go on a very strict diet to keep her gallbladder from rupturing because she had stones. And hmm. But we brought into a world a beautiful daughter. And then two years later, we brought in our second miracle baby. Um, which was a son. And we're just, we're both working parents. I'm working a job. I started my own business. 
I was doing firearms and self-defense training. I was traveling around the U.S. doing it. She was, again, a teacher, stay-at-home, or a teacher and a mom. I would say mm-hmm. stay-at-home mom. And then things shifted in our life, and I started going to college for sports medicine, got out of the firearms industry, and just really went after something that I loved and, and was passionate about. Again, she was teaching, raising kids. And then we moved down from the central part of Louisiana down to South Louisiana to Norman's. And my wife got a job teaching Spanish because she was Hispanic. She was Dominican. And so that was one of her primary languages. And at the time, we've got two kids. My wife also loved to bake cakes. Um, mm. For those that have ever heard the show Cake Boss, she was actually supposed to be on there as an intern. Um, uh, oh. And But the problem is, is she was not a culinary student. And so they couldn't accept her. But they had actually mm. somebody taste her cakes and loved it. And... Uh, Wanted her as, as an intern, but, you know, just formality reasons, she couldn't do it. And so we're just like, hey, we'll just start our own business. And at that time, I had already kind of transitioned into going from sports medicine to a whole different field, which was training dogs and mm. uh, uh, night and day difference. But training I, dogs, that training dogs. Um, uh-huh. And so I was working for a company at the time and my wife, you know, um, I've got two kids. She's working hard. I'm working hard. It kept me at home more. I wasn't traveling uh, as much anymore. So that was a good balance with us. And then I got this wild hair (laughs) to have a third child. (laughs) And I convinced her. Now, by that time, uh, let's see, 2007 or 2017 time frame. Uh, so the, the oldest was already nine, I think it was, and then the, uh, the youngest was seven. So there was going to be a good gap in between age if mm. we had a third child. But I convinced my wife to do so, and so we kind of came up with this formulated plan like anybody else that, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get pregnant during this time, which that didn't happen on the right timing. <laughs> and, uh, and then we will go into, hey, I'll, I'll work hard in the business you can stop teaching, you can run your cake business, and you can be a stay-at-home mom, okay? And in the process of that, everything's going smooth, um, great, good pregnancy to start off with to begin with, and then she just started having complications that led into her own health, not issues with the baby. But we were just an everyday, everyday family working hard. Um, she had got to the point that she was putting on bed rest and couldn't work anymore, and I'm like, well... Our plan didn't go as, 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 as according, but you know, Hey, I've already, I've already worked hard. I've replaced your salary, so to say. So it's okay that you stay home and you can just start baking cakes, continue to bake cakes in the, in the house that we just bought. Um, we, hmm. we, we spent a year and a half looking for a specific house cause we were going to open up the business out of the house. The kitchen, uh, right. the kitchen counter is actually 18 feet long. Uh, believe wow. it or not. And that was plenty enough room to her to make all the mess in the world that she wanted to with her baking. And I was okay with it. (laughs) Um, So, but that led us into just uh, repeated complications with her pregnancy. And Hmm. it was just things that were going on in her body, blood clots and um, tachycardia, which is a very high heart rate. Um, For most people resting even out of shape, it's, you know, 70 beats a minute. Um, She was at 170 beats a minute resting. Resting, wow. And um, it put her in a very critical state uh, she couldn't rest. She couldn't sleep. She couldn't sleep laid down. She had to always be sitting up. And she kept on just complaining to her doctors that there were things going on. And not that they weren't listening, but they definitely weren't being proactive about things. Hmm. And 
what then happened was the big turn for us, and that was the diagnosis of stage four colon cancer um, after um, they brought my son. And um, wow. they brought my son six weeks early, and then all of a sudden we're faced with this news. So how did they find that then? So after the C-section, so they, all right, let me back up a little bit. She kept complaining and finally got a, one of her doctors to do an ultrasound, and they found a mass um, up in her upper right quadrant, just below her um, her right breast. And they just believed because of history that it wasn't cancerous, it wasn't anything, uh, not to be not alarmed of, but nothing detrimental to her life. But it was a collection of blood. And they did want to hurry up and go in so that they waited for about another week and a half to where the um, our baby at the time was, I think he would have been right about 32... Now, he'd have been about right at 34 weeks because he was brought six weeks early. And mm. um, because they didn't want this to burst inside of her because then it would have been an, an absolute emergency. So they did a C-section. He came out um, healthy, as healthy can be for a preemie. Um, he did spend about a week, week and a half in, uh, in the NICU, just developing his lungs more, but was very healthy from the very get-go. And then about six weeks after her, um, her birthing the child, our, our son... She went in for surgery, and again, the doctor did not feel that it was anything that to be alarmed of until I got the call during surgery, and that was the call that no individual wants to hear, um, you know, especially, I, I, I guess, a, a father with three children that now your wife that has been the main caretaker, you know, the nurturer, the, the, I'm the wrestler. I'm the one that wrestles with the kids and beats them up and has fun and things like that. She does all the nurturing. Not that I can't, but it comes natural to women. That's how God created women, you know, and, um, men, we have to, <laughs> we have to learn how to do those things, you know? So, but it came very shocking as a doctor called me and said, Hey, surgery went okay. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Okay. And he says, your wife has stage four metastatic cancer. And mm -hmm. because of my background in uh, medicine, from my degrees and the times I've spent with doctors traveling, um, I knew exactly what that was. I knew what it meant. And I knew that it was a death sentence. And mm -hmm. that's, that's how we found out. And then the journey really started from there. And so how long then did she live from that point? She lived roughly uh, 11 more months after, mm. that, after that, uh, that, the uh, initial diagnosis. And so you had a brand new premature infant and a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 7-year-old, something and like that? 9 and 7 and then the, uh, the, brand new, the brand new infant or 8 and 6 at that time with a brand new infant when she was diagnosed. Mm. Wow. So the older ones, were they were probably old enough to understand a little bit about what was going on? They did. Um, and my daughter also had, she had a friend, uh, one of her classmates that her mom also had cancer. And so she kept on hearing a little bit about it from um, her, her friend at school. And then all of a sudden now her mom has it. And, um, and so now came the process of explaining the best that you can what cancer truly is without putting fear in your own children that you could that your mother could die you know um and so we had that aspect of it you know and 
like I said earlier, you know, we're both born and raised in church. We were faith believers, and we just had to share with our kids that, you know, our faith is in God. Our, our belief is that God's going to heal mom and that she everything's going to be okay. And so we never lived with the aspect of mom's going to die, you know, because ultimately, mm-hmm. I, I mean, who, who wants to wish that? Who wants to believe it? Even if we know the reality of things, we know the reality of stage four cancer is a death sentence, you know, but we also wanted to live in faith that God was going to heal my wife. Hmm. And so then she died 11 months later. So now you had three kids, three small kids. So what were those early weeks, months like? You know, right when my, right when she passed away, um, my daughter, which was then nine at the, or 10, I think at the time, I mean, she was 10, not quite turning 11. She came up to me. Now, literally, they had just picked up. Um, I was at um, a family member's home when my wife passed away, and she passed away in her sleep. Um, my daughter came to me as the funeral home was picking up the, the body, and she says, Dad, I want to go with you to the funeral home. She says, I want to help. Mm-hmm. And this is coming from a 10-year-old. You know, mm. and I said, I just, it just broke me. I said, babe, I thank you so much, but this isn't just something that a child needs to be a part of. But this is also a girl that posted on her Instagram about her mom and how her mom taught her to be strong throughout this process. And so we never hid anything from our children throughout the process of my wife having cancer. She saw the emotions. She saw, now we did the best we could where they weren't involved in everything, but we went on throughout our daily life, you know? But they Mm -hmm. knew that mom was going through treatment, through chemo. They knew that mom had days that I, as a father, I, as a husband, the children, we all had to pick up the slack. We all had to, you know, cook our own food because she was a great cook. You know, and Mm -hmm. we had help coming in from different family members and we were staggering that. And it was a constant back and forth of the the, the emotions of the the high of the emotions from my wife to the low emotions of things, you know. So by the time that my wife passed, my children had already kind of almost kind of gone through the same thing that I was going through where we had to learn how to be strong in the midst of our own pain. And Hmm. no parent wants to put any of that on their child. We want to shield. We want to protect our children because we don't know the end result of trauma at a a young age for a child that can affect them as adult. None of us know that, you know. Um, But ultimately, my daughter was a very strong-willed individual, and she's just like, Dad, I want to help. She was like that all throughout the process, Hmm. you know, and... So I allowed her to do things as a kid would do, but also be a part of, hey, baby, if you want to walk in there and you pray for mom or you encourage mom or you want to help mom do something, then by all means do it. You know, I didn't want to mm. keep her from doing what she felt in her heart to do as help to her her mom. Mm. And the, mm-hmm. only, the, the other aspect of it is, is that was quality time that I could never give back to my daughter that she wanted to go in and sit beside her mom and at times they cried together, at times they laughed together, at times they, they did things, you know, worked on projects or even baked cakes until my wife couldn't do it anymore, you know? So mm-hmm. by allowing that to happen, 
I feel like strength was built within my children um, that I, I couldn't have taught them how to do it by reading a book. I couldn't have put them in the perfect scenario to do it, but it just unfolded naturally. And it didn't stop there for my daughter. Not only did she ask me that question the day my wife passed, but she posted on Instagram. But then the day of the funeral, she actually, while the funeral was going on and we had a celebration, we had my pastor there and we had a worship leader there. She pulls on my shirt. And she says, dad, I want to, I want to say something. And in my hmm. mind, in, in my <laughs> reasoning mind is, okay, a 10-year-old's going to get up there. She's going to be crying. Everybody's going to be standing there, going to feel sorry. But then after about two minutes, people are going to be like, okay, let's get her down. Let's move on. You know, that's <laughs> what's going on through my own mind. And I just kind of like dismissed it for a little bit. And then she, she tugged on me again. She's like, dad, I really want to say something. And I looked at my pastor and I just kind of did the little the little mouth movement with my hand and I pointed at my daughter and he said, bring her up. And for three and a half minutes, she blew the place away. Did not cry, did not shed a tear, but just was talking about how strong her mom taught her to be and how strong her mom was and how strong of a person she is as a 10 year old. And it just, it floored everybody. It absolutely floored. Hmm. And I had, I had professional athletes that played in the, that played football in the NFL come up to me afterwards and says, Joseph, Never in my life have I ever put, had somebody put me to my knees like you're know, like your daughter did. Huh. It's like I've never shed a wow. tear in my life, and I was crying the whole entire time, you know. Huh. And um, and you know my my son, even though he wasn't vocal at the time, he he was he was right there. He was right there. Daddy, can I help? Daddy, uh, uh, is there anything I can do for you? you? You know. And so to watch that happen. In the moment of grief, in the moment of everything going on, I couldn't be more of a proud dad to know that that my kids had something instilled from them, from their mom, that will last mm. them the rest of their life. Even from mm. me, that will last them the rest of their life. That To me, things like that cannot be taught. It can only be caught. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the... Uh you know, getting up and speaking was also helpful to her and her grief and processing and, you know, feeling like she was doing what she needed to do for her, you know, for herself. I, I truly, Jenny, I, I truly believe so. And that's something that I just want to say to the listeners, you know, we all go through pain. Everybody in our life go through some sort of degree of pain, whether it's pain as a young child. And though we may not be able to emotionally process it or to reason it, we go through those things that can haunt us or come back to us later on in life it's ultimately how we deal with the painful process that allows us to be able to get through our own healing journey and something that we can talk about later but that i help coach people through is pillars that i created for myself to go through the own healing process i just didn't know i was doing it until i i just people kept on asking me like how do you remain so happy in the midst of so much? You lost your dad on January the 5th, and then you lost your wife on January the 27th, you know, and then three months later, the baby, the one-year-old, is now fighting for his life in a hospital because he, hmm. was, um, he wasn't taking in nutrients. He was vomiting and, and, and uh, diarrhea, everything that was going into him. And long story short, he had celiac disease, which is he can't eat anything gluten. Well, that was, they believe that was an onset to the stress of his mom dying. And he was only one. He was only one years old. 
And I'm wow. like, they go through stress. They know that. And they're like, you don't understand. Yeah. Somebody's like, uh, another woman said, Joseph, your, your, your boy is more connected to your mom, to his mom than you'll ever know because of carrying in the wound for nine months. Mm. You know, the smells, mm-hmm. the touch, the heartbeat, the feeling, the voice, all that's gone now out of his life. He knows it's gone. He just doesn't know how to process it. So the mm. body goes, went through a stressful period for him. And so, you know, ultimately we go through pain. And I, I have the saying that I have a couple one, but pain is life's greatest teacher. It can also be life's biggest crutch. Hmm. Tell pain, us more about that. Yeah, pain can, okay, we learn through painful experiences. I put my hand on a burner, it's going to teach me not to put my hand on a burner because it's painful, okay? Right. Now, I look now, the, the pain that I've gone through and that even you as listeners are out there, the pain that you've gone through from whether it's losing a spouse, maybe even, you know, maybe you weren't married, but you still lost someone that's very significant to your life, you know, we, there, we can't help that. That's not something that taught me a lesson that if I would have done something different, then I would have had a different outcome, okay? My wife getting colon cancer had nothing to do with me, but yet I still deal with the pain. The pain of that lesson is where I take it and I learn to move on from it so it doesn't become the crutch that two years, five years, 10 years from now, I still have not moved on because I'm still holding on to the pain. Holding on to pain brings no healing whatsoever to yourself or to other people. So, yes, pain can be the life's greatest teacher. What has it taught me? Well, in one aspect of like the hand on the burners, don't put your hand on the burner. That's something I can control, okay? The painful process of, you know, my wife passing away is... Okay, how am I going to move forward now? How am I dealing with my grief now? How am I helping my children right now? All those things can teach me this lesson at this moment while going through the painful process. Mm -hmm. And so it can be life's greatest teacher because I'm learning so much about myself. I'm learning so much about how to father three children. I'm learning so much about running a business and moving on in relationships. And the healing aspect that I needed, that I thought I had, but I didn't until my wife was no longer in the picture. Mm. And so, but it can also, pain can be the thing that gets us stuck. We all have a story. Jenny, I'm telling my story right now. You have a story. You've written books on it. You have a podcast on it. But what happens to a lot of people, the story becomes glue. And what does glue do? Glue gets you stuck. So we can use, pain can be used like the crutch or like glue to get us stuck, or we can use it like what you and I are doing, sharing our story to where it launches us into our destiny. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, that's interesting because I was reading, I thought on your website or someplace you said uh, your pain can be a crutch or it can be the thing that launches you. And that sounds like what you're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I mean, it's it's really, we can all write books. We can all write books on how we went through grieving process, but is there really an instruction booklet on how to grieve? No, there's not because everybody's different. Everybody mm. processes information different.
okay? We may all go through the same grieving process, the depression, not wanting to get out of bed, not wanting to move on in life, uh, the uncertainty of new relationships in the future, all those things. How am I going to raise children? I'm a father, okay? At the time, I had a, 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 a eight and six-year-old. So you would say, by that time, I know how to father children. I, I know how to be a parent. Well, of course I do. But then all of a sudden, it's just like everything had just, like the reset button had been hit. Like all right. of a sudden, I just adopted three kids all at one time, and I have no idea what I'm doing. Like nothing, <laughs> okay? And that's, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot for a man, not saying it's not a lot for a woman. But men were not created to be nurturers. We were created to be providers. And that's why there's a difference with a man and a wife doing things not saying that men can never take care of children because millions of men around the world do it. But it's a learning process, even though some people may get it naturally. I held a baby naturally, but listen, when I couldn't get the baby to be quiet, what happens? Hey, sweetheart, will you get the baby? Will you get our daughter to be quiet? Because they just had that touch. They had that smell. They, the, the, the nurturing aspect of it. But now all of a sudden, I had to be the nurturer to a one-year-old. Okay, mm. but then I also had to be the nurturer to an eight and six year old, but not the same way as the one year old. Mm. It was the grieving nurturing part. I had to now help an eight and six year old or a 10 and, and 10 and uh, eight at the time know that your mom is no longer here. Mom's never coming back. You know, mom passed away of this disease. And oh, by the way, I have to make sure that you don't have it, too. You know, and all oh, those things are hereditary. going through my mind. They felt like it was a hereditary thing that even though she had other family members that did pass away of cancer, none of them have passed away from colon cancer. So, of mm. course, when doctors get into the DNA and things like that, they wanted to make sure that the kids weren't a carrier. Mm. You know, so all those things now had to become the nurturing aspect of I'm nurturing a baby that needs the one-year-old baby needs. But then I'm mm -hmm. also nurturing a 10 and an eight year old that need the grieving needs. We need time right. to, to, we need time to cry. We need time to sit there and be like, what's life going to be like now? We need time to figure out what are we going to do now that mom's not there? The, the normal day to day routines and behaviors. That's the stuff I, I needed to know how to learn. So what, what helped like, what helped you learn those things? Did, were there some books that were helpful? Did you find a therapist or a grief program? You know, there a lot of cities have kids and family grief centers with yeah. peer groups and things. What kind of things did you find helpful? So I just started immersing myself, nothing specific to grieving itself, because I really didn't know where to look, okay? But I just started focusing on growth within myself, okay? And... For those that are out there listening, Tony Robbins happened to be a very influential individual at the time. Um, uh, you know, and I, I, it's a funny story that I say about Tony is when I first heard Tony, it was a couple months prior to my wife passing away. And I'm like, man, I can't get past this raspy voice of his. And he's probably just really good at marketing. And he's only been doing this for like the last year, you know, hmm. um, and needless to know that I know that uh, Tony had been doing it for over 40 years. <laughs> and uh, so fast forward a little bit. It was, it, was, it was about a month and a half after my wife passed away. My brother calls me up and he says, Joseph, we need to go to this business seminar. 
you know, and to work on our business. It's going to help you get your mind off some things. And I trust my brother because he's an entrepreneur as well. And he's like, let's go to this business, this five-day immerse, full immersion business program. And I'm like, well, who is it? He's like, Tony Robbins. I'm like, nope, can't do it. I can't get past his voice. I just, no, not going to do it. And he's like, listen, man, just trust me and listen to this video I'm going to send you. And I listened to the video and long story short, I, I heard it and it just really resonated with me. And I'm in a, I'm in a parking lot in Canada doing a valuation on a dog training business. And I said to myself, I'm going to speak on the stage with Tony Robbins. Now, hmm. who am I compared to Tony Robbins? <laughs> I'm, I'm the little ant and he's, you know, he's the <laughs> ant killer, <laughs> you know, um, and so I'm, I'm nobody to Tony Robbins, but I said, I put it out there, I'm going to speak on stage with Tony Robbins. Well, we registered for the, for the, for the business program, and then things start popping up on, on social media that he's going to be in Atlanta um, as a, th- a two-day little event. And I'm like, I call my brother, I'm like, I say, hey, look, let's just, let's go to this. It's a two-day thing. It's really just kind of motivational speaking. There's going to be some different things. And the morning of... I walked, I'm walking in the elevator and I tell my brother, I says, Michael, mark my words. I'm going to speak on stage with Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. Needless that I know that seven hours later, I would be speaking on the stage with Tony Robbins. He called wow, me that he, same day. He called me up out of the crowd. Okay. And we were doing an exercise about our goals. Huh. And then he talked about things that keep us from achieving our goals and then things that we think about the most. And of course, I couldn't help but to say that I lost my wife and um, any and that she's not here anymore. And he said, Joseph, it's not the fact that she's not here anymore. It's the fact that you think that she should still be here. Hmm. And it really got me just thinking and just, you know, and really start to dive deeper into... I can go after grief counseling. I can go after, but what I really felt in my heart, what I needed to go after is me as an individual. Now, grief was a part of that, but I had other issues that I wasn't confident in that I needed to work on my own confidence. You know, I had other areas of life that I'm like, how do I do these things? How do I become, forget about teaching, and this is not a dis, this is not to discredit helping get my children into therapy or me into therapy, I needed to learn how to be a better dad. Hmm. Take away the aspect that my wife passed away. Take away that they no longer have their mother. I need to learn how to be a better dad so that in the moments of learning how to grieve, I am there for my children. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the stuff that resonated the most with me. But in the midst of growing as an individual... I was also able to deal with my grief. Mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to tackle grief only because it wasn't just grief. It was so many other things that I dealt with as a child, the rejection, the abandonment, the seeking approval, uh, the hatred in my heart towards my dad. All those things were an issue that didn't allow me to move on in life that inhibited me right then and there in my own life. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. I knew if I went after those things, everything else would start falling into place. Mm-hmm. You mentioned your dad. Uh, um, and I think you mentioned a few minutes ago that he died right around the same time your wife died. He did. Um, he died 22 days uh, prior to my wife passing away. So 
what was that like having two big losses in a quick succession like that? You know, one, I don't ever wish that on anybody. Um, I was in the middle of grieving for my dad when my wife passed away. And then it just became, it's like his grieving or my grieving for my dad was overshadowed now by the loss of my wife. My mindset had a completely shift because now I couldn't focus on grieving him. I had to not only just focus on grieving my wife, but I had to also focus on my children. And so it, it, mm. the way the cards were played, so to say, the way the cards were dealt is I had no choice but to do things because I knew if I stayed, stayed in a state of grief, I would stay there for a long time. And the thing mm. is, Jenny, is I had every right to. I had every right to sit there and take as long as time as I needed to grieve for my dad and my wife. Who's, who's going to take that away from me? Mm. But I knew that if I stayed there too long, it would have kept me there. Ah, uh, interesting. And that's... Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, well, no, I, did you, would you have a follow-up thought on that? Yeah, so, and that's one thing that that I've created in, in part of my coaching is one of the pillars, and I, I don't mind sharing the pillars with everybody, but number one, to the listeners that are out there, number one, it is completely okay to grieve. Take as much time as you need. But here's the thing about grieving, something that I learned, and I didn't realize I was doing it until about... 10 months after my wife had passed away, when everybody kept on saying, how are you so happy? How are you so, your dad died, your wife died, your son was you know, in the hospital. How are you able to walk around encouraging people and doing social media videos and you know, affirming people and doing everything with life with a smile on your face? And it, people kept on asking me that. I'm like, I don't know, I have no idea. But this is one thing that I figured out that I was doing is when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, um, they had removed over 80% of her liver, okay? Now, a healthy individual can lose about 70 to 75% and be fine. Well, she wasn't healthy because she was ridden of the toxic fluid that cancer leaks within the body, okay? And they went in and removed over 80%. And so for the first 72 hours, we didn't, doctors told me, says, we don't know that your wife will make it past these 72 hours. So mm -hmm. I had to right then and there is to protect her because I knew my wife when it came to her mental state. Um, and I had to tell family, I had to tell my family, her family, her friends that were close, my friends that were close, my own children and keep it from her. Uh -huh. And I felt, and I, 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 about 96 hours into it when her body was stable and she was going to be okay, she knew, we knew that she was going to make it, um, that's when we broke the news. The doctor and I broke the news. Um, but in the midst of me grieving, I had to grieve outside of the aspect of being around her. Because if she knew that I was grieving over this, it would put her in a different mental state. Hmm. And then when it came to the point of her going through cancer and going through chemo, I felt in my spirit, I felt in my heart, I need to share our journey. 
And so I would go on Facebook Live and I would, I would share our journey. I would share what's going on. Hey, this is what happened. This is the news that we got. There's times I'm laughing. There's times I'm smiling. There's times I'm crying. There's times I thought I was going to lose my wife during this. I mean, everything's going on and I'm sharing this with the world. Hmm. But then once the video ended, I would have to go in and I would have to dry my tears and I would now have to go take care of my wife. Mm. And I would have to be the strong person and I would have to make sure that my kids were okay. And so I learned through that process that it was still okay to grieve, but I had to put a time limit, if we could actually say that, put a time limit to my grieving. And so what I learned that roughly my videos were 15, 20 minutes long, sometimes longer, is I would take 15 to 20 minutes to grieve and then I would stop. I'd go start going throughout my day and that would help me through the process of balancing out where I wasn't in a state of grieving or a state of depression or just being down or just feeling life's heaviness all throughout the day. Now, mm. don't get me wrong. There's times I grieved for 15 minutes, was good for one minute and went back to crying. And that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Because I just made sure that I was able to start focusing on other things instead of being in a grieving state of mind all day long. Mm. Kind of think about it like when it's gloomy outside, you know, it's like it, it's going to rain, but it hasn't rained yet. And it's just like, man, the sun's not out. I just, man, I just want to stay in bed all day long. We've all had that feeling, right? Yep. Well, mm -hmm. grieving is kind of like that, where we all get that feeling that we just want to lay in bed and don't do nothing. But mm. the problem is, is we have life to go through. Now, some people may be working at home. Some people may not have the children to take care of, you know. And so you have that ability to grieve all day long, but it's ultimately not a truly healthy thing because it puts your mind in a state of staying there all the time versus the back and forth of, okay, I'm going to take my time to grieve, but now I got to put my belt back on. I got to put my, I got to put my shoes on. I got to put my shirt on and I've got to go throughout my day. That may only last a couple minutes and then you're back grieving and that's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to grieve, just don't get stuck in it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, gosh, I think we, we probably have plenty more we could talk about, but I do think we need to, to wrap it up here soon. But I did want to ask you about something. Somewhere I saw you have some kind of morning routine that you've developed. Um, I think maybe developed for yourself initially. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So, um. I struggled with sleep really bad. I have not a person that's ever been, that's ever dealt with anxiety, depression, stress. I just, I've always been able to handle all those things very well, but I was having all of a sudden having these panic attacks and I would out of the middle of nowhere, I could be sitting here talking to you. I could be in a crowd of people. I could be alone watching a movie and all of a sudden I'd get that racing heart feeling that flight or fight syndrome. You know, mm -hmm. and I didn't know what it was to begin with. I knew it was an anxiety, but I didn't know what my body was doing. So, of course, I tried to be like, okay, is it happening only at this time? Is it happening? There was no pattern to it. Hmm. And so a friend of mine's like, hey, man, you're, you're having panic attacks. You're having this fight or flight syndrome. He's like, what's your rest like? And I'm like, uh, two and a half hours. They're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. He's like, what time are you going you to mean bed? mean like says, nighttime sleep you're talking about? Yeah, two and a half hours. That's all I got. Wow. If I went to wow. bed at 10 p.m., 
I was up at 1230. If I went to wow. bed at 12, I was up at 230. It did not matter mm-hmm. what time of the night that I, I would try to stay up just to make sure that my body would be so tired that I can sleep two yeah. hours on the dot. It was like an alarm clock was going off in my huh. body. Wow. And so, and this also good friend of mine, he's like, Joseph, you have to create a routine. Now he was telling me this when my wife was going through chemo and because again, she wanted to stay in the bed, didn't have the energy, things like that. And uh, he says, it's going to help you guys out. And so I had read a book by Hal Elrod called um, Miracle Morning, okay? And mm-hmm. he talks about mm-hmm. the, the routine. So I read it, started doing it. And that was about a year prior, maybe even two years prior. And so I'm like, you know what? I need to go back to my routine. I need to go back to doing something. And here was the things that I created is one thing is you've got to create your goals, dreams, and visions, Okay, I'm not talking about a one year. I'm not talking about one, three, five, 10 year goals. I'm talking about maybe even a minute by minute, a daily dream, a daily goal. When hmm. you're struggling to get out of bed, getting out of bed is not the thing you want to do. But maybe just simply sitting up in bed is. Maybe hmm. you do that for three or four days. Mm-hmm. Maybe then the next one is, is I'm going to put my feet on the floor. Hmm. I, may, I may lay back down and that's okay. But the mm-hmm. thing is, is I have created the dream or the goal to today, I'm going to sit up first thing in the morning. Mm. Tomorrow, two days from now, I'm going to put my feet on the floor. And I broke those things down so minutely because when you're overwhelmed with life, when you're overwhelmed with, I lost my dad, I lost my, my wife, uh, you know, I'm now a single parent, all those things, you tend to forget about the routine you're naturally in. I had a business to run. I was, you know, taking kids to school, all those different things. I didn't want to focus on that. I didn't at all. I just like everybody else, I just want to hide in a corner and hopefully that I wake up and this is all gone. Mm. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen. And so I created the routine that will allow, that I started to do for myself of, sitting up in the bed and now put my feet on the floor now going to another room now making a cup of coffee too then it just kept on i kept on adding to it where now i'm speaking affirmations over myself as i got more and more into it i'm like today's going to be a great day i may grieve but today's going to be a great day and one thing that i had to start doing because i was battling with with the sleep and the anxiety is before i would ever go to bed this is where a lot of people go wrong in self-sabotage is they say, man, I'm going to be so tired in the morning. Well, you haven't even gone to sleep yet. How do mm. you know you're going to be so tired in the morning? So I, mm. would, I switched it. I, I call flipping the script is I'm going to get the best night of sleep. I'm going to get eight hours of sleep no matter what. And I'm going to wake up so refreshed, so renewed, full of energy in the morning, ready to conquer my day. Hmm. And I'm a week, two and a half hours later. And then mm. as, as I woke up, I'm going to go right back to sleep and I'm going to have a great day in the morning. And I'd say it over and over and over and over again until I reprogrammed my body to start getting seven and eight hours of sleep. Huh. Because I wasn't complaining about not only getting two and a half hours of sleep. I'm just like, okay, two and a half hours. I'll just get up and do something. Or I'm going to go back and lay down and close my eyes. And if I don't go to sleep, that's fine. I'm still going to have a great day. Mm. I'm still going to help my children. I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to do that. And that's how I started creating the morning routine that went on from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And then I started getting back in the gym. I started, you know, my affirmations. I started helping people to find, to help them. And if there's one little takeaway, if there's one little takeaway that I can give right now, 
even in the midst of your own pain, find somebody that you can help, no matter what it is. Because when we can shift our mindset off of our issues and onto other people's, one, as you're sharing and helping people get through their issues, light bulbs are start going off in your own head of the revelation you're actually speaking out into the atmosphere for your own self of, man, that's good stuff. I guess I need to start applying that because we're, <laughs> our focus isn't on us. When we focus on us, we start to get overwhelmed. Oh my God, how am I going to do this? I can't do this. Uh, this isn't going to be perfect. All those analytical things start happening. But when we're trying to share it with other people, our brain bypasses that. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we're not afraid of messing up. When I share something with you, I'm not afraid of messing up. It's up to you to do it. Right. Whereas if you're trying to share it with yourself, then right. I'm yeah. like, oh my God, I'm going to mess up. What happens if I don't get out of bed? <laughs> what happens if the alarm? I hit the alarm 10 times. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? So if there's something I can really leave with the listeners is number one, don't beat yourself up. We're all going to go through pain. Okay. There are people out there that are going through the same exact thing, you know, and believe Mm -hmm. it or not, I actually ran across somebody that goes to my church that he lost his mom and wife all in the same month. And I'm like, how is that even possible? I lost my dad and wife in the same month. And now I can run across somebody that knows exactly what I went through. They're Mm -hmm. out there, you know, find somebody to help create the goal, the the daily goals and dreams, take your time to grieve, take it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I think that's actually a great place to leave it. So um, my guest today is Joseph James. Joseph, where can listeners find you if they'd like to learn more about your work? And I think you have a podcast, which I don't think we got to. I do. Uh, so tell us where we can find that as well. Yes. Um, I'm on all your major platforms, Apple, Google. Um, there's a couple other ones out there, Spotify. The podcast name is Purpose Through pain, helping people find their purpose through the pain that they've gone through in life. Okay. You can reach out to me on Instagram. It's meet the word meet Joseph James. Uh, and you can message me. You can send me things. I can send you. We have an ebook that we can send you guys on creating a morning routine, um, as well as a coaching program, um, to help people find again, their purpose through pain. Okay, terrific. Well, Joseph, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Jenny. I greatly appreciate it. I'm truly honored. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to finding true freedom and breakthrough.